0: So, how about them Titans? I was looking at all the... (laughs) It's not too spiritual, but it's really funny. I was looking at all the memes yesterday, and I saw more memes celebrating the loss (laughs) of the Patriots than the victory of the Titans. And I just felt bad for the Titans. I was celebrating the loss too, but I thought we ought to probably celebrate the victory of somebody. And I, then I began to think about our lives a lot of times, and much of the time we, we do the same thing. We, I'm not trying to get preachy already, but we, we celebrate the losses of others more than the victories of others. Um, because truly in much of our lives, other people's losses promote us to victory. And so we tend to be celebrators of other people's losses because of what it does for our opportunity. Jesus had this way of of celebrating the victories in others, that we would be the type of people that do the same. Mm. Churches in our community can begin to sus- to see some success and we as it's amazing how the church will eat its own and can and just has this heart to not be able to celebrate the victories of others and The church has become a toxic place where when people begin to demonstrate the goodness of God, we tend to get jealous about those things and uh I really believe that's what the book of Philippians is talking about. This book is something else. I want to, over the next three weeks, we're doing a series, and over the next three weeks, I want to try to unpack one sermon that really is bringing in the book of Acts, the very beginning of Acts and the very end of Acts, kind of, you know... One of the things you can know when you open up a good book, open up any book for that matter, you can read the forward, which typically I skip over, or the preface, or you can, and you can read the ending, and you can know pretty much what happens in the entire book. And so I want to do that today. I want to look at Acts. I want to look. You're like, we're doing Philippians. Sean, do you know? It's not, that's the wrong uh, slide, by the way. Um, I don't know. I don't think I gave him the right slide. Um <laughs> huh, Okay. Um, so there's that um, the, we're in Philippians it says beheaded but we're in Philippians I'll put the slide up there for the next service so they'll get to see the right thing And um, so last week we began in Philippians and we, we read in chapter 3 and I know it's just kind of jumping into the middle of the book but in Philippians chapter 3 we talked about the treasures he gives a list Paul gives a list of the treasures of the wasted life And then he said, there's one thing, and we talked about, if you want your life to count, there's specific attributes in each person's life that we should look towards. Um, One of the things we talked about for those people that lives count for the kingdom of God is they treasure Christ Jesus above all the things, all the treasures in the wasted life. Like your accomplishments. Like your social status. Like where you were born. And Paul lists all the things all these treasures, all these wonderful things that people in the world, they treasure, but they're treasures of the wasted life. He calls them all the things that man tends to accomplish and the accolades of men and all the things that even the Apostle Paul had accomplished. He says they are but mere dunghill. It's nothing. It's trash. It's wasted. And many of us spend our whole life gathering up treasures of the wasted life. And so, The Apostle Paul was telling us that what we should treasure, we should treasure Christ above all other things. And then when we treasure him, our life begins to count for something. And so I want to talk uh, a little bit. I'm going to restart in Philippians and then over the next three weeks, so this will somewhat be an introduction. We won't even get to point one in my sermon. This is the introduction. It's going to be 35 minutes long. So brace yourself. Now, I'm just trying to do better because I can't preach a two-hour sermon today, and I really want to. But I'm going to give you the introduction. I'm going to leave you hanging. And we're not even going to get to the title of my sermon. And we're definitely not getting to the point four of the four character traits of a life that counts. I will give that to you next week. All right? So it's kind of an interesting day, but we're going to have to jump in here. Philippians, after we go through Philippians and we see the treasures of the wasted life in chapter 3... We get to Philippians chapter, 15, or verse, chapter 3, verse 15. Sweetheart, can you give me tissue? And we'll kind of jump back a little bit because he ends the, that section by saying this. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which, for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Notice this. Just because Christ Jesus had laid hold of something for you, doesn't mean that it's automatically transferred to you. You must lay hold of it to attain what he's laid hold of for you. Okay, this is very important. This, ladies and gentlemen, is kingdom living. Right? Kingdom is about sowing and reaping, but there is a sowing for a reaping. Each of you who believe you receive the kingdom, but there is an action that activates the seed. Kingdom living requires action, okay? And and so I want you to understand, I don't want you to lose me in here today and say, well, Son, are you saying that we haven't received the kingdom by just simply believing? Listen, it's believing, and believing is also making him Lord. So there is always an action required of submission in the kingdom being released in your life, not received into your life. Okay, I don't have time to expand on that any further. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count, everybody say count, myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the verse we're talking about today, it says, therefore, let us as many as are mature. Have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. What mind? to the degree that you've already attained, live according to that. Do not live according to the degree of what I've attained. Do not live according to the degree of what your parents attained. Don't you dare let the church shame you into trying to live a life where you're ill-equipped to live. He has equipped you with certain things. You have embraced certain tools. You have embraced certain maturity in Christ. Live according to the maturity that you are. And live with your whole heart to that degree. Stop living to everyone else's degree of maturity. Oh man. Greatness in you. The kingdom releases in you to the degree of your maturity. But, you, but for some of you here today... Your greatest challenge is just going to be to own the level of your maturity. (laughs) Oh, that's the greatest challenge, isn't it? People want to live. How can you live at the maturity you see in others if you can't even live and have refused to live at the maturity you currently are at? Okay. This is a big deal. I'm going to say it again. Some of you are going to walk out of here today and spend all week trying to figure out how, what kind of maturity am I. Because you've lied to yourself most of your life about your true maturity. That's why I did a ministry with youth for years about being real. Get real. Be authentic. Because it is in your authentic self that maturity activates the kingdom in your life. Okay. Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. There is a pattern of the kingdom. There is a pattern. There is a proper positioning of your life. There is a proper place that everything should go. Don't just throw stuff out there willy-nilly, crazy to the silly. Just there is a pattern to your life. For many walk, Of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemy of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, for whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Does this sound like any of you today? For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. That's good stuff, man. That's wow right Now let's go to Acts chapter 1. For us to truly understand Scripture, you cannot take certain text in part by itself. Everything that the Apostle Paul is communicating as he writes letters to the church, whether of Philippi, of Ephesus, whatever letter he's writing, he is basing his... his, uh, his commands and demands and patterning after what Jesus taught the disciples in the book of Acts. Luke writes to us and he is a surgeon and he only puts into the book of Acts of, of Uh, Acts those things that are necessary because as a surgeon, as a physician, he understands that extra things become dangerous and not enough things become dangerous. So he is precise. He is to the point. This doesn't need any Greek translation. He is specifically telling you exactly what Jesus said after he resurrected from the dead and spent 40 days with the apostles. He spoke to them commands of the kingdom. And now the Apostle Paul has, built, has been built up by these commands spoken by Jesus after the resurrection and before the ascension for 40 days. And he is speaking from that context in all of his letters. So when he speaks about the kingdom, he is speaking something from what Jesus had already told him in the book of Acts. So for us to truly understand Philippians and to understand the context of what he's saying, when he begins to talk about the kingdom, when he begins to talk about treasuring Christ, when he begins to talk about the kingdom has a pattern, the kingdom responds to your will. Come on, listen to me. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom, the kingdom always responds to our will. The kingdom is attracted to what looks like it. The kingdom comes, listen, the kingdom comes when we walk in his will. The very kingdom itself is the rule of an authority. It is a social structure. It is a culture. It is a rule and authority over our lives. It is lordship. The kingdom doesn't come unless there's a proper will. Unless we begin to look here on earth like heaven looks in heaven. Okay, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, right? Okay. It's more than just going, listen, the kingdom coming is more than going, Kingdom come, and then it just comes. It don't work that way. And we've been preaching a gospel that hurts our churches. Doesn't transform our churches, but it hurts our churches. So Acts one, I want to talk. We're going to encapsulate the whole book of Acts. This is ridiculous. I can't even believe I'm trying to do this, but God said so. um, Acts chapter, uh, Acts one, verse one through three says, "The former account I made, and you can write this on your notes." Who is he talking to? Oh, Theophilus. So this book, the book of Acts, was written to who? Theophilus. Theophilus. Some people will say Theophilus. I'm okay with both because it's a ridiculous name. (laughs) Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. This is written to Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach after he resurrected until the day he was taken up. This is important. We skip over this. This is like blah 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 blah. blah. This is to somebody get healed. Okay. Taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given what commandments to the apostles. L- listen, listen, because I know some of you read the Bible differently. It's not recommendations. <laughs> I thought the commandments were dead. Actually, Jesus died, accomplished the work, came back, and gave commandments about the kingdom that they should follow if they want the kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm not talking about the old commandments. I'm talking about the commandments of the kingdom. You best pay attention to Acts. you got to read it because I'm only reading the introduction. Okay, you got to read it on your own. But there's commandments in here. And the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom. To the what? Jesus. Kingdom of God. Now let's go to the end. Because there's nothing like getting a good perspective of what Jesus was trying to accomplish. Like looking at the end of a thing. you would like, I wish you would end your sermon today so I don't have to wait three weeks and come back next week when the Chiefs are playing. I did that on purpose. You're welcome. <laughs> Maybe you'll come back if I leave you hanging. We can still watch. We can still watch the Chiefs. Amen. I'm going to be watching the Chiefs. Matter of fact, when, when the second service ends, if you go to the second service, because some of you just hop back and forth. Get out of here so I can go watch the Chiefs play. God loves you and everything, but the chief's only gonna play one day, and we don't know what's gonna happen, and I want to be there to see it. It's come to church, but leave when the service is over. Okay. <sighs> I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know. Okay. Verse 31 of the last 28, verse verse 21 says this preaching, preaching the kingdom of God. And teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. (laughs) If you look to your left and your right, I truly believe that we'll discover that living a life that counts is living out. Acts 29, (laughs) it's not in there. You are living epistles, he says, written of, of all men. And if thy kingdom's going to come to your world, it comes through Acts 29. It comes to the person sitting to your left and to your right, and it comes through you. <laughs> we are still living in an Acts generation. The question is, how are you going to act? And what kind of life are you going to live? That's good enough right there. We could leave right there. I've been to, I've been. Listen, I've been to pastor retreats and pastor conferences for years. And typically, whenever we were part of nomination, they would they would gather all the pastors, and we would go to a hotel, and we would and they would speak to us, and they would teach us how to be a better pastor. They would taught us how to preach. They taught us how to pack out churches, how to get their, how to get. The church's finances together. And they would give us all the things that were requisite for ministry, but never really truly minister into the lives of the people in the room. They would never really deal with the things that families and ministry would go through the pain, the heartache, the hurt. The stress, they would never talk about those. Because, in much like those conferences, we don't open ourselves up to them, to other people either, because the reality is that when you open yourself up to someone, there are risks involved. I would rather talk at you than talk with you. And the more hurt we've experienced in life, the more guarded we become. And it affects the way we walk and it affects the way we engage others. But the Christian life is not a guarded life. The Christian life, in the Christian life, there are risks you have to take. Come on, listen to me today. Pay attention to me today. There are risks that you have to take. Your heart matters to God, it does but if he bases his calling that he's placed on each of our lives on your heart you will never fulfill it listen to me that's awesome you will never fulfill it because much of what he calls you to will require you to risk pain heartache and suffering now I'm not trying to be woe but I'm just telling you that's the way it goes I have people, some people that are waiting to get involved. Waiting. Now I'm not talking about just serving at the church. I'm, I'm talking about waiting to live out and walk out the kingdom lifestyle. They're waiting to do that until their heart is in it. Okay, let me, let me say this. There are people that God has commanded us to do certain things and they wait to do what God has commanded Until they feel it. Track with me. Anything in the kingdom that God has called you to, you're never going to feel it. That's why he comes with a command. Because why is a command required if your heart is in it? Oh, man, Man, come on. And I'm just, I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you today. I'm, I am I feel like it's my responsibility and this I'm not talking to anybody specific, and there are gonna be people that email me and are frustrated because they're thinking I'm preaching at situations. I'm not preaching at situations, I'm preaching at our world right now. I have people that that will serve when they feel it and quit when they don't. Let me tell you something right now. We don't live a life in total servitude to Christ because we feel it. We do it because He gave us everything, and it's the least we can do. Come on now. Listen, I grew up in a culture like this. Now you know part of I talked to Pastor Tim a lot. Part of the culture I grew up in uh, was was very much just do it because you should do it, and you'll never feel it. Like and and I and I and, I, and you'll never have joy. Well, He says joy comes along. It comes in the morning. But notice it comes in the morning. Okay. I used to think joy never came. It comes in the midst of our going when we don't feel it. But we always will step out not feeling if it's a kingdom thing, you don't feel it. That's why I question people that were so excited that they were called into ministry. I question your call. When people tell me, when they people tell me I was called, I didn't want to do it. I kept saying no, but God would not back off. See, that's a calling. That's a kingdom thing. It's not a flesh thing. Because there's a lot of people who want to be in ministry, but God didn't call them. Because if God calls you to something, he calls you to something that wrecks you and messes with your life. And messes with your plans. You don't have to like that. You don't even have to agree with that, theologically. I'm right. But you don't have to agree with it. <laughs> you have your right to your opinion, Okay. Uh, there are risks when we open our lives up to people. When you open yourself up to people, there's a danger that you may get hurt. God tells us to be benevolent to people, but our benevolence has been attacked by our, our, the idiosyncrasies of men and relationships and the pain we have endured through other people's relationship. You can give me a glass of water, that's benevolence. But there's something that's greater than benevolence. It's covenant. See, covenant is when you share a glass of water. And and some of us would rather give things because it doesn't cost us anything. Water's free. I mean, they bottle it and they sell it, but that is the devil. You know what I mean? It's free. Water is free. It should be free to all. It's easy to give someone water. It's hard to sit down at the table and share a glass of water with them. The kingdom calls us beyond protecting ourselves, beyond building up walls, beyond just benevolence. And he calls us to a covenant lifestyle, not merely with him, but with men. When was the last time you didn't, when was the last time you sat down and had a conversation with somebody instead of texting them or I messaging them? Most of our engagement is we message people to get what we want and we discard the people because they are a part of what we consider wasted life. People are not a part of the wasted treasures. They are the treasure that Jesus died for. Okay, so God is calling us to engage people, to love people, to love people, love God. And those that love God will love people. (laughs) We've had a lot of ministries give us things, give us things on USB drives, give us knowledge, give us these things. But sometimes in life and in ministry, we need people to share in life with us. That's what small groups are. Oh, that's dirty, Sean. That's, That's dirty. That's dirty, man. So you can come here and you can be benevolent, and that's easy because it doesn't cost you anything. See, but kingdom lifestyle comes through covenant. You can't come on Sunday morning and shout me down that we want to be bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven when you won't even do covenant life with people. You want to come, you want to sit in the pew, warm it, hear a good word, go home entertained, but not enter into covenant with the people that Jesus died for. That's not a kingdom lifestyle. Well, cost, I'm really busy. It'll cost me one night of the week. Listen, I get it. I don't even lead a small group in my house. I just host it. I just open my door and let them walk in there. Man, I really don't even have to stay downstairs. I could go upstairs and take a bath. And my, I, my job is done. I've opened my house up. There are weeks that we, we leave here and we go or we're out running around or we're at a hospital and we go home and I'm just like, I just don't even want to do small group tonight. You know why? Because we are more important than everything and everyone else around us. And God is calling us to covenant and covenant cost something. You cannot treasure Christ and not treasure the things that Christ died for. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that's just me and Jesus. It's just, all it has to be is me and God and me and Jesus and I don't need the church. <laughs> he died for the church, not the organization but the gathering of fellowship of other believers, we enter into covenant one with another. Track with me. So if we look at Acts, our life must approximate the lifestyle of the New Testament. It is not good enough to merely know what the church was when it kicked off. Our life... For the kingdom to come to earth must approximate the lifestyle of what we read about in the New Testament. Our lifestyle today must approximate the lifestyle of the New Testament. If we're going to see what they saw, if we're going to see the works that they saw, it is unfair for us to desire the miraculous and the supernatural and be unwilling to love the life that those who saw the supernatural lived There is an absence of the supernatural in churches today. But there is an absence of people living a supernatural life. So there must first be a lifestyle that puts a demand on God's kingdom to come. Because His kingdom comes when the earth begins to resemble what the heaven looks like. He feels comfortable there. God, you may not like this. This will bust up your theology. But our God only comes and shows up where he's comfortable. Come on now. That may rock your theology. You're like, well, that's the Old Testament. He only came between the cherubim and the and they wings touching. He only rested there. That's where his presence was because they had to make all this and they had to develop all this, and he was only comfortable there. But in the New Testament, he's comfortable in anything. That's Oh, really? Is that right? So he just invades people's lives without belief and without them being cleansed from the, from the sin and righteousness covering them. He just comes in before that. See, God dwells where the temple is made righteous and he is comfortable to dwell there. Track with me now. So, if we see this resembled, then our church can't just function any old way it pleases for God to show up. Come on now. I, just, I know it's going to stretch you a little bit, but just take a breath. Just, just breathe in, breathe out. It's okay. We're going to talk about a few things about what this is. So there must be a lifestyle that puts a demand on God's kingdom to come. We read Acts. The book of Acts is the historical record. We know that it was written by Luke. We know that he's very specific about what he wants us to do. And I believe his point was to teach us the commandments of the kingdom. He was not only a physician, scholars tell us he was a surgeon. He understood the complexities of anything that was serious. So he gives gives us what I believe is a secret text to believers in Christ specifically. I'm going to say this, and you write this on your notes, and I want you to think about this this week. The book of Acts was not written for everybody. Does that stress you out just a little bit, some of you? Just just be honest, I'm not trying to trick you. It was not written for everybody. The book was not written for all of you sitting in here today. The book was certainly not written for the masses of mankind. This book was written for Theophilus. Theo, meaning God. Phyllis coming from the Greek word phileo, meaning love, or lover, or lovers, meaning lovers of God. This book was written for lovers of God. You know how you make your life count we talked about last week? You treasure Christ above all of the things. And so when we look at this, he starts this off by saying, I'm writing this record to the lovers of God. So it's not written to everyone, it's not written to everyone in this room, it's not written to the masses, it's written to those who are lovers of God. And for anyone else, it will confuse you, it will mess with your life, and it will leave you frustrated. It is only written as a secret message to the lovers of God. <laughs> that's, that's so good. If you're not a lover, this book will confuse you, challenge you to your deepest core, and I even believe it will drive you away from the gospel. Luke speaks in the book of Acts that until the day Jesus was taken, he gave them commandments. He didn't give them options. He didn't give them suggestions. He gave them commandments. So the book of Acts is a record of absolute commanded life. There is no way in the body of Christ that you will be able to luxuriate that you are a civilian. Pay attention to me today. You cannot read the book of Acts and you cannot act like you are a civilian. It is the record of a commanded life. Every believer in Christ will be drafted. And they will not ask for your opinion. God does not ask for your opinion. You will be drafted, if you're a believer in Christ, into his work. That's good stuff. So it is time that we stop coming in on Sunday morning and acting like civilians, going out on Monday morning and acting like a civilian as a believer in Christ. You are not a civilian. You have been drafted into the kingdom of God. And there are commands when he drafts you. You're not just drafted to sit in the pew and pay your tithe and enjoy the show and go home. You're drafted to be actively involved in something that's alive. And when we hear the word kingdom, bostelios, tothios, the kingdom of God, meaning to rule the rule, specific rule of God, all Jesus talked about for 40 days after his resurrection was this rule of God over our lives. I believe young people probably understand the kingdom better than some of us in here today because they're in school and they're learning that the kingdom is a region that has an economic structure. It has a social structure. It has a political structure. It has a structure of culture, an ethnic structure, a style, a mode of being, and it has an alliance and an allegiance to the ruler of that kingdom. And the kingdom takes its motif from the ruler's character and the proximity of his personhood. In other words, the kingdom is not some supernatural message that's merely preached, but it is something that comes and messes with every part of your life. It demands that every part of of your life take a knee at the Lord who is Jesus Christ. And it bowed down. Your social standing, bow down and take a knee. Your economic standing, bow down and take a knee. The culture of your home, that it would bow down and take a knee. That your heart would bow down and take a knee. That your desires would bow down and take a knee. That how you feel in your day will bow at the feet of Jesus. That's what a kingdom is. It determines how you spend your money. Oh, Lord, help me. Here he goes again. (laughs) The kingdom determines where you take your vacation. The kingdom determines how close you live to the church. The kingdom determines whether you take the second job to live a better life or you have one job and you seek God more. The kingdom determines who you marry and who you don't marry. The kingdom determines who you hang out with And where you live and what you do. It determines everything about your life. It messes with every dimension of your life. That's what the kingdom does. The kingdom does not merely show up so a few people can get healed and be touched. Kingdom is something that messes with every dimension of your life. The kingdom says you must love this way. And when you love this way, you get the benefits of the kingdom. You do not get the benefits of the kingdom and not not approximate the lifestyle of the kingdom. Oh, that's good, man. The kingdom comes. You don't join it. It comes when it wants it comes when you look like what heaven looks like because God needs to be made comfortable to come (laughs) that's why worship is so important when we talk about the kingdom somebody give me a tissue that I haven't spilled stuff on please I can't reach it I can it'll be weird (laughs) thank you baby (laughs) seriously (laughs) the kingdom wouldn't want you to do that God, that's a joke. It's totally a joke. God thought that was funny, actually, probably. Worship. Uh, Whenever we talk about worship, we, we only zero in on what happens here in our praise. But worship is submitting your life to Him. We worship Him when we walk down the street and someone talks to us, and we treat them like Jesus would. We worship when we make eye contact with our server and we love them instead of rush them. That's our worship. It's when we approximate the lifestyle of Christ in our life. Oh, this is worship too. It says that he inhabits the praises of his people. I love this. And I think it teaches us, I believe, we, we talk about this, that, that this is a key of the kingdom for your victory. <laughs> God wants you to be benefactors of what comes from the kingdom. But He gives you commands to be benefactors. And those that can't submit to the commands and live a life where we walk this way, will not be benefactors. They will have the kingdom, but they will not be benefactors of the kingdom. Okay, of what comes from the kingdom. That's a better way of saying it. Many people, I've actually heard pastors say, well, we need to, we need to, you know, we need to get the worship team off there so that I can preach. Listen, let me, I, here's what I'm learning, is that, that preaching is a necessary thing because of sin. If sin never came, preaching would have never been here. It is necessary at this point because of sin. Just don't want to work myself out of a job here. I'm just saying it is still necessary at this time because there's still sinning over. However, worship was demanded and expected before sin. Why? Because God inhabits our worship. And our praise. It is us making him comfortable. It is us looking like heaven. When we worship. Come on now listen to me. Your worship. When it looks like heaven. You capture God. In your presence. That's why he says some of us need to worship. When all hell's breaking loose. Because you can capture God. In your presence. And in your hell. And where God is. Hell cannot exist. That's good stuff, about to freak out, but I need to be diplomatic and chill, chill. I know I got a tattoo and, and stuff. I didn't even go real crazy today. I don't know why I talked about the tattoo. I was proud of it. See the little wing coming out there? Anyway, um, so let me take a sip of coffee. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, back to what we were talking about, worship. So I, I really truly believe that we need to understand. I mean, we've had in our church, we've had people come in. Can we just talk for a second? We've had people come in and in the worship get saved, in the worship actually be healed from cancer. Worship. Let's talk about that for a second. Because I thought it was only the preaching of the word that people got saved. It's in the worship. Because in the worship, God dwells in our worship. And, and, and God begins to, like said, if there's anything... Let me just say this, sir. if there's, the more our worship and praise looks like heaven, the more comfortable he come, he, that he is to come. Okay. It says, he said, he told Isaiah, come on up here and see what, see what worship looks like come on up here and see what worship looks like so he goes up and there's cherubim and seraphim flying around and there's wings and they're covering eyes and they're covering and they have this and they holy 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 is the lord god almighty they're flying around oh holy holy there's another attribute of god oh holy 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 oh holy holy this is the worst worship service ever like it's like those you know the, the older people i'm older now <laughs> they're like all you do is repeat the same thing go to heaven you're going to be miserable These newfangled choruses—they just keep repeating the same thing. They only say "holy in heaven." Your toast. That's really good stuff. I didn't even—I've never heard that before. That was really good. I like that. I'm gonna write that down myself, and that was good. But it's true, right? It's true. Holy, 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 holy. And and I want you to know. and And it says that they're always flying, never standing, because it is eternal ministry. Without rest. Oh, come on now. Worship is eternal ministry without rest. I just need to take a break. I've been worshiping hard this week. I just need to take a break because I've done enough for God. Like, I just need a break and just not have to be doing anything for God and I have to go. I just need a break. Listen, that's not what heaven looks like. There is no breaks in heaven. Well, I've still got this temporal body, you know. No, no. It, it, listen, worship is resembling heaven. Right. I just don't feel like it today. So, Because I don't feel like it, then it won't be anointed. Shut up. You know, Jesus did. So it's just like saying that Jesus wasn't anointed when he hung on the cross. Yeah, I said shut up, but I meant it. <laughs> he, was, he didn't want to be there. They drove that nail in, he didn't want, still didn't want to be there. They drove that nail in, he still didn't want to be there. And when they drove it through his foot, he, he couldn't hit anybody. But he didn't want to be there. Are you with me today? Yes, you can laugh, it's okay. We're not laughing at Jesus. For Pete's sake, don't laugh at Jesus. But there are some of us in here today that we don't want to do something. But anointing doesn't exist because you do it because you want to anointing often exists because you do it because you don't want to Oh man, come on now. Come on. Well, God he just makes me want to do everything. Oh, come no. Uh, no, he doesn't because that is not demonstrating the life of Christ. That's baloney. That's that's not that's theology not based on his word. That's theology based on us feeling like we have to prove that we're always okay with everything. That's not biblical theology. And God calls us to things that are uncomfortable, and it is con- He calls us beyond our strength. Let me, when you get tired of serving in ministry, that's not just at church, but ministering in life to your neighbor. When you get tired of doing that, that's when God can show up. But that's when most of the church twits and takes a three-year break. Come on now, listen to me. I almost said sabbatical and I'm about to go on, so that would make me look bad. <laughs> but, but listen, on my sabbatical, I'm not just going to go and lay down and not study and seek him for our church. I'm going to not going to stop ministering forever. Oh man. I'm not going to stop ministering forever. I'm going to be drilling in harder with him. Why? Because worship is constant ministry without rest. Okay. Worship is more than a song. It is your life walk. When when our worship resembles this, heaven, ministry, that's sacrifice, ministry that moves beyond our strength, worship, That regardless of how we feel, we worship and we live a life that resembles Him. When we live this way, God's presence falls where we are. Oh, come on now. I don't want to do this. The prior, the entire message on Pentecost was preached. I actually timed myself because I read it. It's in the Bible. The Pentecost message is in the Bible. I read it and timed it. It took me—I read fast—four minutes and thirty-seven seconds. That was the entire message preached, where three thousand people came to life in Christ. The entire Pentecost message was preached, but because they had been worshiping in the upper room for fifty days, it only took four minutes to turn a non-believer's heart to Christ. I'm learning that it's not the length of the message it's the effectiveness and the intentionality of our hearts being submitted to him Every day of our life. That when we stand up and we speak, we can do it in four minutes and it bends hearts. Many of us are having to preach for three and four hours to bend the heart of one believer. But if you spend all your days spending time walking with him and dwelling with him and being with him, it only takes four minutes to bend the heart of thousands. But many of us are trying to work ourselves up into something that we failed to do through the week. And it doesn't submit hearts because we need to seek him in private so we can have power in public. Oh, that's good stuff. That's good. I'm preaching to myself. As he plays me off the stage, I'm preaching to myself because I got a little bit more to go. Worship is prerequisite for His presence. Worship is important because the kingdom only comes when it recognizes what resembles it. God only shows up where He's comfortable. God inhabits the praise of His people. When earth begins to sound like heaven, the kingdom doesn't merely come because you say to come. It comes because it recognizes what is like it. And God is brought to earth because earth begins to sound like heaven. God comes to your house because your house begins to sound like heaven. Thy kingdom come. And then he puts in thy will be done because he wants you to know you submitting your will brings his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> the reason his kingdom come is because we are acting on earth like he is in heaven. I want to say this. Even when we praise in the church, we bring God to us but we realize that our anthropological place or my human condition then is contrary. Although my praise looks like heaven, my human condition does not look like heaven. And some of us praise him. and have cancer and some of us praise him and we're in debt and some of us praise him and we have trouble and some of us praise him and we have infirmity some of us praise him and what our life looks like does not approximate what the kingdom looks like but our praise gets him here and catches god's presence our praise looks like heaven so he comes in our midst but he doesn't want to stay because our our human condition doesn't look like heaven. That's why we keep praising. That's why we keep worshiping Him. Because our praise inhabits Him. The, the, the original word there is captures Him. Oh, come on now. Come on, He taught us this. So He obeys His own law. So although He wants to retreat from the way your life looks... He can't because His praise captures Him. That's why we need to praise Him all the more. That's why our praise needs to be continuously, listen to me now, on our lips. He's teaching us a key to the kingdom. like the praise continually be on your lips. Because the longer, and you can say to Him this, Listen God, I know my physical state doesn't look like heaven. I know my mouth doesn't talk like heaven sometimes. I know my family doesn't look like heaven here in our house. I I know that I have some debt. I know that my social status doesn't look like the kingdom. I know that there's some things that don't look like the kingdom. But I'm going to praise you. And if you want to kick your feet up and get comfortable here, (laughs) I'm going to continue to praise you. But you're going to have to heal this body if you want to be comfortable. If you want it to look completely like heaven. That's why in the midst of our worship, not our praise, not only our praise at church, but the minute, our worship through our life can capture God. And he can change things in your life so he can be comfortable dwelling in your life. <laughs> That's why he tells you that your praise continues to be on his lips because he's teaching you how to draw him to you so he can change your condition oh my gosh he preached to them the commands of the kingdom (laughs) Jesus preached the kingdom of God I'm almost done he preached that I it comes to what it resembles I'm going to leave you hanging here and then we're going to come back and I'm going to give you the title of my sermon next week and the first point Jesus preached the kingdom of God. He preached that it come to what it resembles. The book of Acts will ruin your life. And it will resurrect his and yours. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness gracious. Because the book of Acts teaches us that the church that begins. I'm leaving you with this on hanging. The church that begins in glory must end in greater glory. Glory. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Next week we come. We're talking about how to live a life that counts. We're going to talk about the second thing we see in all people who live a life that count for the kingdom of God. The first one is that we treasure him above all other things. The second one I'll tell you next week.